Hello, hello. There we go. It's hard to push a button. Hello, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. Glad that you have joined with us on this wonderful evening. It's actually not freezing outside, which is which is a nice thing. Uh, real quick announcement: um, uh, We are doing a tour with a. Reverend Jimmy Bratcher, the first week of June, Monday through Friday, the first week. What are the dates? Something to the 8th. There's the 9th. I'm cutting out Saturday. Anyway. Anyway, we're looking for some guys who would like to join us. Um, uh, anybody here or the other campuses? What it is, it's going to be the blues band doing a tour in federal prisons uh, in Kansas and stuff. And, it's unbelievably desolate in Kansas. It's, it's kind of like their version of Alcatraz. I mean, it's like nothing. If they escape, where are they going to go? There's no place to go. But uh, So anyway, we're going to be doing the blues tour there uh, for that week. And if you think you'd like to take some time off or like to come and join the band, uh, we need some roadies. Four guys, strong guys, strong backs anyway, to help carry all our stuff. Let us know. Check with your campus pastor. We would love to have you come along. All right, we are in uh, the first letter of Peter to the church. Uh, we are in chapter 4, and we cut off about verse 9. We'll back up and start at verse 7, the beginning of that paragraph. Um, Peter's writing to the Christian community at this part point. Everything we've done so far, there's been a lot of letters written, and Paul's, um, you know, in prison and all this stuff. So this is all... Oh, quite a while before we have a recorded uh, letter from Peter, which is rather interesting. He's writing in the context that he keeps coming back to throughout the letter is about the suffering that the Christians are enduring at this time. This is kind of like the beginning uh, of the se uh, severe persecution Christians start running into. Eventually, as you know, it gets totally out of control and the Romans persecuted the Christians ruthlessly threw them to the lions, you know, as for sport and, uh, you know, chased them all over the place. They hid in catacombs underneath, which if you ever, if you ever get a chance to go to Rome, it's really, did you go to the catacombs when you were there? Yeah. It was, it's truly amazing uh, to go down and they have all the record and you can see where they, they hid and the little signs of the cross and stuff that they made. And the, it's really fascinating to look at if you ever get a chance to go there. But anyway, so... He's writing, this is kind of the beginning of, of some of that, so he's writing really just kind of practical advice to Christians. Practical Christian living is what, as you know, is always my favorite part of the New Testament. They got the theology. Uh, we work through that. Okay. Um, we're getting, I believe, the next book, because we're trying to do it in the order that they were written, is the book of Hebrews, and it's like all theology. I mean, so we'll take a look at that. But anyway, we are... Now, in chapter 4, verse 7, remembering they did not write them in chapters or in verses. They just wrote letters. We chopped them up so we could find reference points. So anyway, he's writing to these Christians, and he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Actually, most of the uh, end-time prophecies uh, in the New Testament um, 
always would be followed up with basically, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And because this is going to happen, therefore, what kind of life you should live. Therefore, be ready. There's always a point to all of it. It wasn't to get Christians arguing about what's going to happen in the last days, which as Christians, we get dumb as bricks and we argue with people about stuff like that. So I never debate people on those things. Say, well, what do you think is going to happen? When's it going to happen? Uh, yeah, I'm going to die. That's what I know is going to happen, you know. Um, so uh, I believe in the pan theory, which is it'll all pan out in the end. So, so anyway, so the point of all these inline time prophecies, and we're going to eventually get to the book of Revelations. I mean, that's a creepy, ugh, you know, it's very intense stuff describing all, all that's uh, going to happen, and some people debate it's already happened. We'll, we'll get into all that. But the point of that even is be ready, just be ready. So he's saying, look, the end of all things is near. He doesn't say that to freak everybody out. He's just saying because of that, you know, be alert, be sober-minded, pay attention. Pay attention to your life. Don't be caught off guard. And in, in, in a real sense, it's, again, I mean, the Bible says be ready because you don't know when these, these things will happen. But in a real sense, everybody's clock is up for grabs at any given moment, right? Jesus may not come back for another thousand years for all we know. You're going to kick away before that, I guarantee you. You know, you could lose it on the way home. Last time I said that, a lady literally on the way home died. And I felt guilty for it. I didn't kill her. I don't know why I felt guilty, but for saying it. It's one of those creepy things. But you, don't, you never know. You never know. You're, so we, you should always be ready. We should always be thinking in terms of being ready for eternity. Our whole life, all our energy, everything that we're about, pointing to God, pointing to Christ. Okay? So, above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, <laughs> if there's one thing, again, it's my beef with evangelical Christians, and I am one, I get it, but the culture, this Bible Belt culture, it just irritates me to no end, is, is these people uh, do anything but cover people's sins. They look to expose them, right? As soon as somebody messes up, we need exposes it. And, and I know it says expose the evil works of darkness. I get that, but evil works of darkness is, you know, not necessarily your brother in Christ who made a mistake. You know what I'm saying? So as soon as somebody messes up, man, we like to go at them and expose this and drag. I don't know if you've ever been in a church. Some of you have been in churches for decades. Uh, might have seen times where someone was caught doing something and they drag him in front of the whole church and tell everybody the awful thing that he did and just humiliate him and you know I, I, I don't get that I don't know what the point of it is uh, I just think it's over the top it's ridiculous how about an attitude of let's cover each other's sins in fact now we're going to get to the eventually to John he's the other uh, uh, apostle that we have uh, a writing of in the epistles and uh, he basically says, if, if you, if, I think it's John, but basically the, the, the word that if you see a brother commit a sin that is not unto death, in other words, it's not a serious, he didn't stab somebody, he didn't steal somebody's wife, you know what I'm saying, but you see somebody do something, he says, you can pray for them that God will forgive them and God will forgive them. <coughs> now we would say, no, he needs to repent, 
personally. Because we like to stick people's sins in their face. But I'm telling you, some, some churches, Christians got issues. I don't know what the deal is. It's like that parable where Jesus said the one guy was forgiven of all this great debt and he turned around to some guy who owed him just a few bucks and strangled him. You know, we're just strangling a lot of people that, that, that mess up. You know? you know, he says, you can pray. So, so if you see somebody maybe does something that you didn't think was quite right or something, you know, you should be able to, you know, Father, just, just forgive him. Cover that. And the Bible says, God will forgive him because you asked him to. That's pretty amazing. We'll get to that when we, when we finally get, I can't remember where it is right now, but I'll figure it out. But uh, it's really rather fascinating. But we don't have that kind of attitude. See, because that's what love does. Love covers sins. You know, it's like, it's like married couples, you know, they, they cover stuff if they're getting along, right? If they're not, they're exposing every little thing you did to me, you know what I'm saying? You know, you do something stupid and at some point your wife just goes, they just blow it off. You know, you don't write down every little fence. Your wife says something irritating, or don't write it down and stuff like that because love covers all that. Every single transgression, every little thing that gets wrong does not need to be accounted for uh, and directly in people's faces. Now, again, uh, uh, I don't want to draw any blank. John, whoever wrote that, said, now, there is a sin unto death. I don't say pray for that. In other words, if you see someone stab somebody and burying them in a shallow grave, you can't go, oh, Lord, just forgive him and move on. I mean, that's, that's, that ain't flying, you know what I'm saying? That, that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, just, you know, somebody gets, you know, grumpy or short with somebody and snappy and, and you just pray for it. And it's, it's like it doesn't happen. It's like it didn't happen. Do you see the difference? It's like it didn't happen. That's the love just covers. When you can look at someone else, literally sin. He shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have barked like that. Maybe he dropped his bulletin and, and an expletive flew out of his mouth, you know, on Sunday morning, which happens on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people say all kinds of stuff in here. A lot of them are new to church. They're new to church. Something goes wrong, what do they do? Rather than like it. You know, that's what they can't even think. That's the, that's the reaction to everything. Uh, and when that happens, uh, oh, Lord, just forgive them, you know. There's a cover. It's called covering, loving. There's not this, this desire to expose everybody's faults and weaknesses. I, that I don't get. But look what he says here. He says, uh, Above all, love each other deeply. See, that's what's missing, is we don't really love people. And if somebody takes us off that we don't love, we're very quick to expose it. And I, I just, if we're really walking in love with each other, you see somebody, somebody barks at your kid, you shouldn't bark at your kid. You call a pastor, the pastor, that guy barked at my kid, and he said he was a poopy head. If you call me, I'll say, maybe it was a poopy head. I mean, I don't know, but anyway. You know, instead of having a fit and calling, just, you know, Oh, Lord, just forgive him. He's probably having a bad day. You know what I'm saying? Just let it go. Let stuff go. Don't grab it onto every little thing. Because love covers a few sins. Or a multitude of sins. Well, that's a shocker. I mean, I can let a few go. Okay, but there's a limit, right? You know, you get to 29, you're done. No, a multitude of sins. Love. People say and do things and make mistakes and fall short all the time, including me. I know that shocks you, being the perfect man that I am. You know, you let stuff go. Don't you? Well, I've got to expose every little thing. Really? Honestly. So, 
Don't do that. And this one, it's an interesting thing. Verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why is that? Because a lot of people, they don't like to offer hospitality. And they don't want anybody in their homes. And they don't want to invite any people over. Don't let little people, I don't want these people to come over. I gotta clean everything up. You don't help me afterwards. You know, whatever, that whole routine, right? Anybody have this argument? You know, be open to hospitality without grumbling. We're supposed to have our own homes open to each other. Now, I know some of you hate it. And of all the things in life, I'm sure it's not that big of a deal. But he's encouraging you, encouraging all of us, be open. Invite people to your home. Be willing to be hospitable. It used to be people used to be hospitable. Right? When we were growing up back in the 1800s, you know this? <laughs> you know, you like to have company over, right? That was the next I saw a comedian. He did this funny routine. <laughs> Should have had this queued up. This would have been hilarious. He, he says, man, when I grew up, somebody knocked on the door. It's company! Hey, we gotta get the cake out. Oh, look who's here. So glad to see you. The kids all come running over and you sit down and you talk for three hours and they leave. Oh, don't leave yet. You know, now someone knocks on the door and says, oh man. <laughs> nobody move, nobody move. <laughs> We're just not very hospitable. We used to be a very hospitable culture in America. Now it's like, who's the creep at the door? That would be the pastor. <laughs> all right, so the Bible encourages us to offer, you know, be hospitable to people. Open your homes, encourage that kind of thing. Whatever. All right. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Now, we all have various gifts. Everybody has different kinds of gifts. Um, he's going to talk about two of them here in just a second. But whatever gift, whatever abilities that you have, find a way to, to serve people with it. You know? You got some gift, find out, you know, that's why when we have these, uh, at our campuses, we have those uh, weekends where we have opportunities for service, and what do we call those things? Ministry Expos. I just work here. So it's Ministry Expos, uh, and get to go to the different tables and see what opportunities, and if you find something, you know, I can do that. I can do that. Look for opportunities. God has given you gifts. Everybody has gifts. Oh, I don't have any gifts. Well, you definitely have one, which we're going to read in just a second. All right? But the reason to do this is, uh, is as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, God loves to love on people. And we talk about God's grace, which means unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't. Someone's just nice to you for no reason at all. Don't you like that? Someone's polite to you for no reason at all. Someone compliments you for no reason at all. That's, that's, that's grace. That's grace. And God loves us. Why? I don't know. I'd kill all of us starting with me, you know. Uh, but he, you know, all this kindness and blessings and stuff that he puts in us, all, every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from God in its various forms. So there's, when we talk about grace, often we just talk about, you know, the cross and coming in faith and asking Jesus in your heart, but there's all kinds of versions of grace, just niceness to people. God loves to bless people. That's, that's the way he's wired. The way. So he gives all these gifts, and whenever you serve other people in whatever capacity that you are able to, it's an expression of God's grace to that person. You may not think much of it, but to the person that you're helping, that blessed them that day, right? Also, you'd be nice if you help somebody out, you're doing something for somebody. Uh, you know, what are you good at? You know, maybe you're 
really smart with math, unlike myself, you know. Uh, and, and you can help somebody out with financial stuff, you know, or tutor a kid or something. There's all kinds of different things, whatever your skills and abilities are. Usually the only two that really are obvious in churches are singing and playing an instrument. All right, we all see that. If you can sing and play this, oh, it's wonderful they're showing their gifts. Well, not everybody can do that. In fact, in fact most cannot. A lot try. <laughs> we can't keep a lid on that around here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we see that and then we see preachers. And everybody, a lot of people grow up in their whole uh, aspect of Christianity. Either I want to be a preacher or I want to be a singer. Right? I want to be a preacher, I want to play guitar for Jesus. You know, that's, that's their only, and which is kind of sad. We should be showing all kinds of opportunities and gifts. Because not everybody can play a musical instrument or sing. Not everybody can speak uh, very well. Um, so, anyway, so, uh, whatever gift you've received, use it to serve others. And then he gives two examples, and he gives kind of a high and a low. If anyone speaks... That's the very visual, what I'm doing to you right now that pastors all over the world do. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. They should take it seriously. I'm representing Christ here. I'm representing, giving you the words of God. And then the other end of it, it says, if anyone serves. What is that? That's doing anything. You say, I don't have any gifts. Well, you can serve. There's a gift. What does that mean? You show up at church and say, what can I do? What? Can I do? It might be helping to clean something. It might be hearing, helping to carry something. You say, well, that doesn't seem very dramatic. Well, a lot of it's not dramatic. It's just, uh, the truth is, a lot of opportunities in Christianity are way below most people's, what, what do I want to say? You're way overqualified. Almost everybody here is highly overqualified to do what needs to be done. And we're Americans. We don't like to do anything beneath our stature. You know, I'm, I'm much more qualified. I mean, how qualified you got to be to, hand out a communion wafer, right? How qualified you got to be to give somebody a, a bulletin as they walk in the door, right? How qualified you got to be to change a poopy diaper in a nursery? Well, I'm not qualified, I'll tell you that right now. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, everybody's got, you know, it, it doesn't take much to serve. Whether or not you're an eloquent speaker or, or you know, all you can do is serve. But there's a lot of different versions of, of all the different gifts and abilities uh, that you can have. And he's encouraging, man, let's, let's do this for each other. Uh, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be glory, the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. All right. Then we have, uh, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's a great verse in the Bible. Now, in the context, he's talking about this persecution that's starting to hit them. But I think that verse really applies to everybody going through any kind of trial. If there's one thing about people who are going through a hard time is they are shocked and surprised this is happening to them. Right? Why is this happening to me? I don't know. I don't understand. I wasn't prepared for this. It always which you should be, we should always be prepared. You know, there's always trials and tests. I hate them. I hate tests. I hated tests in school. I hate, I hated driver's tests. I hated any kind of test. I just don't like tests. Much less when God's testing me. But you got to go through the test. 
I don't like it. But when things go wrong, I'm not shocked. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. Why is this happening to me? You know, why? Because I know this verse. Uh, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. All right? There's going to be stuff we're all going to get faced. It might be a financial trial. It might be a physical trial. It might be sickness. It might be who knows, you know. Uh, so many versions of this kind of thing that can happen where your faith will, faith will be tested. And sometimes the test is just God delays the answer. It's not that he's not going to give you that. He just delays it, and, and you suffer a little while. And nobody likes that, right? So, but, but don't be shocked by it. If you are never expecting some kind of a testing of your faith, you are in a delusional place. And you're going to be shocked when it ha- hits and you'll fall apart. Don't do that. Always be aware there's going to be times where it seems like your prayers are not going an- getting answered or it seems like, you know, things aren't going your way. Uh, look, it's easy to serve God when every prayer is answered and you're always blessed. And the truth is you want to serve God and do things right so that, that's, your, that's the normal experience. But, and it's my normal experience. But even then, there's going to be times where you, you'll get tested. And it's, remember when, uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but when uh, Job, if you read the book of Job, J-O-B, it looks like the book of Job, but it's, it's the book of Job. And uh, Job, uh, de- the devil says, was, was, it came to heaven in front of God. Just, and it's a very weird thing to explain it all. But, and uh, God says, have you seen Job? Man, that guy's faithful. And the devil said to him, the only reason he does this is because you take such good care of him. If, if you weren't protecting him all the time, he would curse you to your face. And God said, okay, have at him. Now, I hope if they ever discuss me in heaven that way, <laughs> don't say that, okay? Just, man. So anyway, all hell breaks out in Job's life. It's really a stunning thing. Everything that goes wrong can go wrong. He loses. All of his livestock are killed. His assets are destroyed. His, all his kids, I forget how many kids, 12 kids, whatever they had, uh, were in, when, in this house and the big wind came and, and it knocked, the roof, I mean, the roof collapsed and killed all of them at once. I mean, everything, everything that you can imagine could go. It's a stunning thing. The book is kind of long and extraordinarily boring. Once you get past the first couple of chapters, the first couple of chapters are like, wow, it all happens real quick. And then the rest of it is he's trying to understand why. And his friends are coming along and giving him static for it or whatever. But just the first couple of chapters are stunning what happens to this guy. He loses everything. And then his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Which I thought was really interesting. Satan took everything but left the wife. <laughs> he sure knew how to get to a guy, I'll tell you that, you know. I'll let the old bat be around. She'll be real encouraging, you know. And sure enough, why don't you just curse God and die? Man, that's not encouraging. Couples should encourage each other. Curse God and die isn't exactly, let me help you today, you know. <laughs> you know we should be looking for opportunities to bless our spouse. I heard from a lady just recently. She said, I was praying, and I said, God, help me find it. What can I do to help my husband and be a blessing to my husband today? See, that's love. That's the way it should be. Not, why don't you just curse God and get it over with? Drop dead. It's not exactly uplifting. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so he goes to this horrible trial, and in the end, 
uh, he doesn't curse God. And he hangs in there. And then God blesses him. Uh, the book of Job ends where it says that his ending was greater than his beginning. In other words, after all that had happened to him, after, when God started blessing him again, he had way more than he had in the first place, including children. I mean, it's really a, it's a stunning turnaround of events. So again, I hope that I'm not up for that kind of trial. But uh, the reality is, it's easier to serve God when everything goes right all the time. Right? If you ask Jesus in your heart and you never had a problem, you never had a bill that was late, you never, I mean, everything was, man, would that be awesome? Woo! Yeah, that's when the trials come, that's the test. What are you going to do? Sadly, a lot of people panic and freak as if something strange were happening to them. He says, don't do that. All right? Instead, he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So there's a lot of this in the New Testament. Again, a lot of it had to do with persecutions, but uh, there is this theme throughout the New Testament basically says embrace any suffering as you are identifying with Christ's suffering. He suffered horribly for us. So when we suffer, we say, well, this is a way to get a little picture of what maybe what Jesus went through. That kind of thing is supposed to be our attitude. Easier to do than to say to do. I mean, I don't like suffering. I hate it. But anyway, he says, do it uh, uh, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer. <laughs> okay. Or a thief. Or any other kind of criminal. Or even as a meddler. He starts high, ends low. Starts with murder, ends with meddler. You know, just, I don't know. Kind of, you shouldn't suffer because you're a jerk. Right? <laughs> Some people is. You know, by the way, if nobody likes you, it's you. <laughs> There's people that do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong. I don't want nobody likes me. I don't know what So, you shouldn't suffer for being a criminal and, doing, and being a jerk and meddling and all these other problems. However, if you do suffer as a Christian, well, then don't be ashamed of that. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, this is real interesting. And we'll see this when we uh, crack open the book of Hebrews here, which we might get to in a little bit. So I see still have plenty of time. But uh, so there are varying doctrines that Christians historically have been at each other's throats over. Uh, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, you know, the end times, you know. You believe in a rapture? You maybe don't believe in a rapture. If you believe in a rapture, you think it's going to happen before the tribulation, during the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation. I mean, they find all kinds of crazy stuff to argue about. Uh, arguing about baptism. How should you be baptized? Should you be dunked in water? Should you be sprayed with a fire hose? I mean, whatever. I mean, everybody's got their thing. And, uh, um, you know, 
all the varying different things that we fight about. Uh, predestination, that's a big one. Uh, there's, there are a significant amount of Christians who believe everything is predestined. In other words, it's all, all planned out ahead of time and you don't really have much say in stuff, which I think is patently absurd. I don't believe in that at all, but there's some who do. And they believe that you are either born destined to go to heaven or destined to go to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. Which, that's the, that's the most extreme version of it, again, which is really kind of creepy, uh, in my opinion, if you're listening right now and I'm insulting you, I apologize. But, uh, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues, gifts of the Spirit, not gifts of the Spirit, how does it look? What, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, and at Celebration Church, we've always said, look, uh, we major, uh, historically Christians would major on the minors, and we don't do that here. We refuse to have, we, we just refuse to have those debates. There are wonderful people part of our church who believe for varying degrees of all of the things I just mentioned. And we don't care. I don't think Christianity, I don't think God is the most glorified when you get a bunch of people in a room that all agree exactly about everything. Historically, that's what churches have thought, particularly evangelical churches, is one of the reasons that they generally tended to be about 100 people. Still to this day, do you know 80% of all churches in America have up 100 people in them or less? That's how bad it is. I mean, it's just, there's just gazillions of little tiny churches because that's about as many people as you can get together that can agree on every little... And, and we just don't do that. Um, and we allow for all these things. Now, if you go to most churches' websites, check it out sometime, and check the what do we believe category, you will get the most detailed breakdown of all the scriptures and we believe communion is this and we believe that and that and baptism and they got a whole list. You click on... Celebration Church website, what we believe, you'll see the Apostles' Creed, and that is it. These are the fundamentals. These are what we believe. These are the non-debatables for us. Everything else can be debated in our... Look, there's people of really great character who believe one way or the other. Why are we at each other's throats over it? You know? There's just no reason for it, I don't think. Now, there's people who have visited our church, and when they find out that they don't get to express their extreme view of whatever, they generally don't stay around here, okay? But I think that there's room for people of all different types of thinking. Uh, you don't have to, everybody think the same. You don't all have to vote the same. You, don't, you know, we just, don't, we just don't get into all that nonsense. And I'm always very, 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 very careful to, when I'm teaching to let you know this is what I think. I always tell you what I think, but we don't demand that everybody has to think that way because these are clearly debatable issues. And I'll tell you, and I'll give you both sides. I'll usually make fun of the one I don't agree with <laughs> because I'm, I'm mean, that's why. But again, I don't care, you know, it's, it's just not that big of all that to say. There is one of the big hot items that Christians have fought over intensely is the idea of can one lose one's salvation. Now, once you are saved, can you get to a place where you're now no longer saved? And this is debated intensely. Now, you have two versions of this, extreme versions. One is uh, you, you believe you can lose your salvation, and if you sneeze the wrong way or kick a dog on the way to church, you're going to die and go to hell. You know, oh, I hope the rapture doesn't happen if you lose your temper, because then you lose everything. You know, it's absurd. And these are Christians who live in constant fear that every little thing they do. Then you've got the, again, these are extremes. 
the extreme version of I can never live, lose my salvation, or if you have no problem sinning like hell. And I mean, born again Christians, supposedly, adulterating, drunken, doing everything, and they don't think, if that is your version of you think what grace is, I think you're a little delusional. You say, well, where do you stand on it? Well, I just, I said, don't be stupid. Just don't be stupid, okay? Here's the thing. What if you're wrong? I can never, I could stab someone to death and lose my, never lose my salvation. What if you're wrong? It's gonna suck to be you, right? And the other extreme of it is people who constantly live in fear and everything, they're always, God's mad at them. I, I don't think I'm saved anymore. You know, oh, I, I got upset. I, I need to come and cry at the altar for an hour and a half and hope that God will forgive me and, and not take away my, and, and not send me to hell. That's ridiculous, okay? Now, what the exact, all I know is the Bible gives varying degrees of this, where it speaks in terms of just this eternal security that you never have to fear. And then there's verses like this. It was hard for the righteous to be saved. What's going to happen to the godly and the ungodly? I mean, to the ungodly and the sinner. You know, Paul says you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Really? I thought we didn't have to worry about anything. Well, that's what he said. I mean, there's all, and you can get varying verses of this. And stuff. So just my advice, don't take extreme views. Of it. Whatever view of you have it, fine, but don't get extreme views of it. If you're the person who thinks, look, I really believe that once this happens, it can never be taken from you, then fine. But live responsibly. Don't use grace as an excuse to sin, because that's absurd. And then there's the argument that if you really live like that, then you probably weren't saved in the first place. Right? I mean, there's so many versions of this stuff. You know, how about we just, let's be smart and take seriously. Eternity is a long time to be playing casual with it. And again, churches historically have even taken one extreme or the other of it and have hammered it into people's heads uh, to the harm and detriment, oftentimes, on either side of extremes that are not helpful. So when he said, what does that mean when he says that? I said, just be careful. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? I don't I'm not gonna answer the question. Just, it's like, what's hell? Well, I don't know. You know what hell is? Oh, I have no hell of an idea what it is. You know, I don't know. Well, what if it's this? I don't know, it sounds awful. Why would you argue? As if there's a good version of this. Even if it's just being locked in a room for eternity with your mother-in-law, good Lord! And, and, and my mother-in-laws are wonderful people. But anyway. Some of the dumbest things we debate is like, good grief. Just be serious about this stuff, okay? So then he wraps it up. Then this chapter says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And again, the context is he's trying to encourage these Christians who are really having a very difficult time. You start losing your job because of your faith. You can't make any advances because of your faith. They come and possess your property and take it away from you because you're a Christian. I mean, there's some significant suffering going on. And then you've got the extremes where they're cutting your head off. I mean, there's all kinds of versions of this. Uh, and what's amazing, and it's truly stunning to me, is how many, when you read, read about that whole thing when ISIS was out of control, and doing, how many Christians stood their ground and just waited for their turn for their heads to be cut off. I mean, that, I mean you, always, you always, what would I do, right? What would I do? Man, that's intense. You talk about people who, they're living this to the very last breath. That is intense. Uh, Incredible stuff. Okay, so then he goes on and he goes back into some of his uh, 
general instructions for the church. Chapter five, verse one. Now to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Now this is what, this is what make Peter unique. Very, 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 very few people actually saw Jesus suffer and be crucified. I guarantee you, certainly none of us have, and I'm sure the vast majority of people who followed Christ never, they weren't there, they didn't see it. Peter was actually there, and he saw it. Now, again, he denied Jesus that first night and went crying and, and, and whatever, but he was, he was a witness to all this stuff. Uh, so it, when he makes that statement, it's like he is really in a unique category here. So uh, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, which what he's really trying to say is, I know what I'm talking about here. Okay. Be shepherds of God's flock. He's talking to these elders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you have to, but because you are willing to do it as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, not doing it for the money, but eager to serve. And that's really what we're supposed to be doing. And not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, this is real interesting. When you, and I, I mentioned this, was it, last week or whenever, we were talking about, when you talk about, you know, wives submit to their husbands and stuff like that. If, if you are the kind of guy that you have to quote to your wife to tell her she needs to submit, you're way out of line. Way out of line. The New Testament never says, husbands, make sure your wives submit. The only religious book that I'm aware of that does that is Islam, where it literally instructs the husbands to make sure their wives submit. Well, any Christian who takes the Bible and does the same thing is acting more like a Muslim than he is a Christian. You should never, ever quote that to your wife. It was written to her. Wives do this. Husbands do this. All these kinds of things, all right? And listen, if you're the kind of person that you have to remind somebody that you're in charge, you're the worst of leaders. The worst leader has to go on and remind people that I'm in charge. And it's good advice for you that some of you, you have jobs where maybe you're in charge of a department or stuff like that. If you have to go around and say, well, this is my department and I'm the one who makes the decisions around here. You're a terrible leader. A terrible leader. He says, don't lord it over. If I go around and say, well, I'm the pastor here. <laughs> And you do what I'm saying, well, I'm the pastor, I have the authority in this church. I would be a terrible leader. The best leaders never do that. He says, what, but, but, but by being examples. Show how things should be done. Now, on occasion, I get it, even in business and stuff, you got to pull the boss card, but it should be rarely, rarely pulled. Sometimes it has to be, I get it. Uh, on rare occasions, I'll pull the I'm the pastor card, but it's been extraordinarily rare. Because if I have to do I'm a terrible leader. If I can't inspire people and, and get this church going in the direction that I want to go by living the kind of life and encouraging and having the talks and having the sessions where we work things through, and stuff, well, what kind of leader is walking, oh, oh, I'm in charge. So if you are, are a boss, you own a company, and you're always telling people you're in charge, you're a terrible boss. I'm just telling you, it is. If you're the kind of pastor who has lorded everybody, or I'm a this, I'm an elder in this church, I'm a deacon in this church, I'm a you know, terrible. You should never do it. I'm telling you, you shouldn't do it. That's not being a leader. 
And if in your home you have to write, well, I'm the head of this house. That's what the Bible says. You know, you're a terrible leader. You're just, I'm telling you, it is what it is. Learn to be. Well, how do I do it? Well, get some books. There's a lot of guys who write good books about it. I don't want to get into it. I'm just telling you. Calling the boss card is not a good leader. Being an example isn't being a good leader. And then when the, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Now, was anybody offended by that? Anybody raise their hands? Anybody offended by that? Yeah. See, it's the same word, submit. It's when it's a wife, submit to your husband. Oh, everybody's mad. All the demons come out, right? That word, again, I wish these translators would change that word because there's other ways to say it without, it's a highly inflammatory word only in that context. You read this, it's not inflammatory at all. You younger guys, you should submit yourself to the elders. Oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, how come they don't know what things are being crushed and destroyed then? You know, as soon as we use it in, in, towards a woman, they're like, oh, you're Christians and, and it's patriarchal, they're trying to destroy women. No, that's not what the Bible is about, never has been. All right? So, younger ones should submit to the older ones, have a little respect for elders. We don't have a lot of respect for elders in this country. If any, the older you get, everybody thinks you're just dumb and put you out to pasture, you know. There are cultures that highly respect their elders. It's really dramatic. When the elder speaks, man, everybody shuts up. There's cultures when an older person walks in the room, everybody stands up. Anybody raised in a culture like that? Yeah, there's, see, we don't even have that here. But in some cultures, you know, it, that's the way they go. Older something, everybody stood up. Grandpa comes in the room, you know, just out of respect. Just out of respect. Uh, sadly, in this culture, we, we don't respect much of anybody. All of you, all of you, should clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So, something. He said, wives should submit to their husbands. It says, employees shouldn't submit to their employers. Uh, the uh, um, younger people should submit to the elders. I mean, there's so many examples of this in the scripture. None of this is impress, uh, oppressive, and it's not to empower anybody. And he wraps it all up by saying, all of you should clothe yourselves with humility. Nobody should be walking around being a jerk on some kind of a power trip at any level. Whether, you have a, uh, whether you're older or not, whether you have a title or not, or whatever the deal is, there's a sense of humility. Be humble. Clothe yourselves. Wrap yourselves up with humility. Okay? Toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. We want favor, right? We want favor from God, God's blessing. Then let's then be humble. Try and, try and show that. Humble yourselves, therefore, he says, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So another way of saying that is the way up is the way down. You know, Jesus said the greatest among you would be the servant of all. You know, you want to sit at the head of the table? No, 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 you sit at the back of the table. Let somebody else ask you to come up to the front. You know, just, just talk about humility. Jesus said, he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. 
Wow, how crazy is that? The master washing the feet of the, the followers? Much less the son of God, God himself on his, you know. And uh, anybody ever been in a church service where they wash people's feet? Anybody? A few, yeah. It's really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. We ain't doing that here. I don't care. Well, the Bible's out of now. Now, 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 now. Now, if it was the culture of our day and everybody went around in sandals all day long on dusty roads because they didn't have blacktops and everything else and you're covered with all kind of gunk on the bottom of your feet, yeah, we might want you to clean up on the way in. All right, so. <laughs> I hated those services. <sighs> anyway, they encourage them. Again, practical Christianity. What should you do? You should cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. A lot of people are filled with fear. A lot of people are filled with anxiety and stuff like that. We need to learn to cast that on God. You do that through prayer and by changing the way that you think. Do you know how fear works? I've said this before, but the way fear works in your head is, you know, we're, we're all great movie producers. All of you are fabulous movie producers, every one of you. you know. What you do is you create a movie and you imagine the worst possible thing happening to you. And you replay that movie over and over and over and over again until you physically get sick. And then you redo the movie. Now we gotta reshoot this part, it's actually worse than I thought it was gonna be. You know? We play it over and over, and people look, you know, ah, ah, just full of, not, there's concern and using your head, I get it, but I know people like, if, if it's raining outside, they come unglued if they know they have a loved one driving a car. It's just the rain. Well, what if something horrible happens? Well, then we'll deal with it. How about we pray and ask God that nothing does happen? But they just start living. They can imagine, I'm going to get a car. It's going to be in the ditch because, you know, it's, it snowed and half an inch. And, ah! Man, just worrying about stuff that never happens. Do you realize most of the stuff you worry about has never happened. But man, you roll that movie over and over and over and over until the point it physically makes you sick. Either your blood pressure will start to rise, or your stomach will tighten up, and I mean, it's, your heart will beat faster. It's not healthy. It's not good. Now, faith does the opposite. Faith imagines the best possible scenario and plays that movie over and over and over again until the point that you physically feel at peace. You physically feel better. You are less stressed out because you've actually done this over and over and over again in your head. You can choose either to be fear, you're gonna do the movies one way or the other. You're either gonna play the worst case scenario movie or we're trusting God for an answer and I, just, I can picture this wonderful answer. You say, well, what if you don't get that answer? Well, I know sometimes you don't, but you're sort of not gonna get all the worries you worry about either. It's called faith. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, believe that you have received it and you'll have it. Now think about that, this is Mark. Believe that you have received it all right, Jesus has his tenses wrong here. He needs, to, he, needs, he needs to go to language class. When you pray, believe that you already have it. And then you'll get it. 
What? What's he talking about? It's the very thing that I'm talking about. When you can actually visualize things to the point that it's, it's, it's like it actually has already happened, that's when faith explodes inside of you. If you get to the point where you believe you've already got it, even though you don't even have it yet, that's called faith. That's the kind of faith that moves mountains. Absolute positive. But some of you would have a lot more success in your prayer lives if you would learn to uh, replace the fear movies in your head with faith movies in your head and start, and I'm talking about literally sitting and doing it intentionally over, all day long, over, I'm trusting God. I know, you know, we're trusting God for the best, da, da, da. So well, if it doesn't happen, well, at least you weren't worried the whole time. Right? You know what I mean? I don't know, it's people, it's, it's like, <laughs> people act like worrying is there's some benefit to it. Where's the benefit? I remember when, when Deb was sick and the doctors would tell us that she had cancer and they would get mad at us because we wouldn't get upset. I'm not making this up. They would, if you ever go to a doctor and he tells you some really bad news and you sit there and smile at him, he's going to think you're crazy. <laughs> I don't think you're taking this serious enough. No, we get it. Dead. You know. Why? Because we had a, picture, a positive picture in our head. God is going to turn the situation around. So, well, she died. Yeah, well, everybody eventually dies. She kicked that thing for 20 years. They said she'd have five. For 20 years, she kicked that rascal. Well, what happens when she died? Well, at least we didn't spend 20 years in fear. What was the point of that? And here's the craziest thing about it. Everybody who's ever gone to medical school knows that they teach that one's attitude has so much to do with their health. So if you run into someone with a positive mental attitude, why are you yelling at them? You're sick. Okay. You're not taking this seriously enough. Okay, let me be depressed, and then I'll feel better. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. Learn to walk in faith. Shut down the fear and anxiety. Learn to give God those things in, in prayer. But then change the way you think. Start playing positive outcomes in your head. What if it never happens? Most of your worrying never happens. It just doesn't. You get physically sick, playing scenarios in your head that never happen. How about we do that with faith? Just shut it down and then see what happens. God either shows up or he doesn't. I tell you, God's more likely to show up with the scenario where you're filling yourself with positive thoughts than with negative ones. Right? Get rid of that anxiety. Quit, you know, I don't know how to get rid of anxiety. Quit thinking about this stuff. Quit living it over and over and over in your head. Be alert and of sober mind. Pay attention. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard people say, well, now, you know, the devil's just a toothless lion. We have victory in Jesus. The devil's just a toothless lion. You're delusional. He's got some very real teeth. And if he had a chance, he would cut your head off. He says, pay attention. Be aware. You know, be on your guard. That's what he's talking about. Wake up, pay attention. Don't be surprised if it's as though some strange thing were happening to you. You wouldn't be thinking that if you're aware in the first place. Be prepared for life. Sometimes life really sucks. Right? This is not heaven. I hear people, oh, I believe heaven's here on earth. Oh, man. Sucks to be you. If this is your version of heaven, ah! good grief. Think the devil's a toothless lion. You're crazy. He will do whatever he can to destroy you. 
Sometimes you got to remind each other. Watch out what Satan's trying to do to us. Watch out. Watch out. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we forget it's going to be reminded. I had someone reminding me of that recently. It's a positive thing. For, you know, you're right. You're right. Sometimes the church is having problems and we're all trying to figure out the, you know what I'm saying? We're trying to analyze everything that we can. So sometimes we got to remember, if it's like really weird and not making sense, it's time to pray. Because it's just the devil. I mean, some, some, he wants to destroy. You think he likes this place? He doesn't like any of y'all. He doesn't. He doesn't like this place. He would be much rather that you were in some bar getting drunk right now or stealing somebody else's wife or doing, being filled with anger and bitterness and hatred and cursing. And, uh, that he likes. When you're trying to do this right, he hates every one of your guts. Be careful. Pay attention. As I said several weeks ago, don't ever think that you can't fall. The minute you think, I would never do that. I'd never commit adultery. I'd never lie. I'd never, yeah, you're delusional. Given the right opportunity and the right circumstances, any one of you here would do just about anything. That's why Jesus said, pray. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. You get to point, oh, I, oh, I'd never do that. Yeah, right. You'd be shocked about some of the people who've done things that you thought they thought they would never do. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. Don't, a little humility. Pay attention. Be aware that there's an enemy out there, the enemy of your soul, and he will do whatever. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and more specifically, the evil one, uh, because the evil one has very sharp teeth. All right, be alert, pay attention, your enemy, you've got an enemy, he's called the devil, and he goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and usually, if you ever watch these documentaries, I love watching these African documentaries in, in the wild and stuff like that, these, you know, and you watch these critters eat each other, um, uh, they always look for the weakest one. That's what they're looking for. They don't want to go running after the strong ones, they're waiting to find the smallest one, the one that's a little slow, maybe a little wounded, ah, lunch. Right? And that's what, so that's why if you're struggling, you should let people know you're struggling. Let people pray for you and hold you up. You know? We should be able to carry our own burdens. We should be able to carry the burdens of others, but there's times where sometimes we need other people to carry our burdens. And uh, certainly I have gone through that the last part of last year, and you guys were so wonderful, so many uh, willing to come alongside and carry my burdens. I mean, I, there was weeks I couldn't pray at all. Can pray at all. So you're a pastor. I'm, I'm telling you, when, when everything's going wrong, it's hard. So everybody gets to the place where they get struggle and they ask, you need to ask for help. And it's good. And that's when we step up for each other and live this thing out. Resist him, who? The devil. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Again, his point was being, don't act as though some strange thing were happening to you. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will make himself restore, he will himself restore you like he did Job, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The troubles you're going through, this is not your end. This will not stand. This is, you're passing through this. If you'll learn to cast your cares on him. Now you can take a long time doing it, the children of Israel, you know the, the distance from going uh, from Israel to each or to the land, to the promised land was, what was it, like a 10-day walk? Oh, I forget. Somebody, maybe somebody knows that. You know how long it took them? 40 years. 
authority? Why? Because they were so stinking stubborn. So stubborn. Now, do you think you can outweigh God? <laughs> Ain't gonna happen. I'm just mad at God. I'm just mad at God. Lots of luck with that. You think he's up there freaking out? Oh, myself, he's mad at me. Oh, I know what I'm gonna do. Oh, bother. Oh, bother. Like Eeyore, cloud over his head. Oh, I don't know how I can last. He can, he can live another 30 years. I don't know how I'm gonna... Really? Don't try and outlast God. Bad plan. All right, if you will go through this, trust him. He himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And then he writes these final words. With the help of Silas, Paul and Silas, remember, Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. What is he talking about? I don't know. And neither does anybody else. I'm reading all these theologians, all these weird theories. Obviously, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Whatever theory they come up with doesn't matter. So they get all these big theological debates about who the lady in Babylon is or if it represented something. So she, who's in Babylon, says hi. <laughs> Whoever she is, I have no idea. Uh, and so does my son Mark. Okay, at least that makes a little more sense. And then this encouragement. Greet one another with a kiss of love which we don't do. Uh, a lot of it's cultural. Um, there are cultures that, Christian cultures, that they kiss everybody. Everybody, did you, you were in Rome, right? Everybody kisses everybody, right? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it's cute kissing the girls. I'm not, not, not on the lips, but on the cheek, you know. Hi, then you run into these old geezers. They have beard stubble that I, I think you could use to like cut a diamond with. <laughs> and when those, right? And they go, they, they always say pace, which means peace. That's critical, pace, pace. And they go, mwah, mwah. Zing, zing, wow! Man, man, does that hurt. Good night, get a razor. Ah. Oh. So, and there's cultures like that, and you'll see them do that. And, this is the culture they had, and he encouraged Christians to greet each other with a, a holy kiss, the King James Bible version says, you know. But, uh, Bob, I, I just don't want to kiss you, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> and peace to all of you who are in Christ. Ta-da! We're done with First Peter. Next week, we will pick, I'm going to double check. There's, there's a lot of debate about which verse, books of the Bible come next. The one I was reading today says Hebrews comes next. I'll, I'll double check all that. And then we'll pick it up and we'll tackle the next one and move on from there, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for your grace. Help us to walk in your grace, oh God, that makes us unmerited favor, this wonderful, that makes life that could be so hard and difficult at time, makes it a wonderful theme, the grace of God. Help us to live in the grace of God. Help us to share the grace of God. Help us to splash around as much grace on people as we can. Help us to love each other. Help us be willing to cover people's faults because uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And help us to be patient with each other as we together, hand in hand, seek to serve you. And if there's anyone who is at times really struggling, Lord, give them the confidence and help them to feel safe enough to reach out so that those around them that are feeling strong can lift them up. 
We all have times where we struggle, Lord, as you well know, and help us to be in a place where it's okay to ask for help. Anyway, we thank you for all of these things. We commit them to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. See you all next Wednesday night.